Greetings to all of you on August the 12th, on Tuesday of the year 2014. The time is approximately 2.09 in the afternoon. My name is David Thompson, and I just want to briefly mention that I'm here to share with you the Word of God by speaking out of the Spirit of God. Word of God says that if any man minister, let him minister as the oracles of God. So I will seek to speak this passage of Scripture out of the Word of God. And what I do to facilitate that as well as I cast lots, trusting God and his power through that to lead me to the right passage of Scripture. And as long as one's life is in a pure and a good relationship with God, where one is walking in holiness, God works in a wonderful way through this, although one should never trust in any of these things. Sometimes I do receive leadings by the Spirit of God other ways. But generally speaking, I will be using the casting of lots. So this message is to me personally, it is to the body of Christ for this end time and this particular time and to all those who God in his foreknowledge has allowed to listen to this message. Today, I received Galatians chapter 5. So the first thing I'm going to do is read Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would... They were even cut off, which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called on to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye de if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed 
one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. It is pretty evident that the theme in this passage of Scripture is in the first verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And other key verses in this passage are in verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And the other thing that is emphasized in this passage of Scripture that God wants to emphasize to the body of Christ is that if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And it also emphasizes here to be led of the Spirit, which is another way of saying that we are walking in the Spirit. That's in verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And the other key verse in this passage, which is significant, is the verse 24 that says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. In this first section, verses 1 to 6, Paul is making it very clear that we are not justified by keeping the law, which focuses on self in mere performance before God, but by a relationship with God. And the secret of that relationship is in faith working by love. And that is found in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, 
but faith which worketh by love. There is this misunderstanding among many believers that somehow those people that were in the time before Christ, I'm speaking particularly of the Church of Israel, under the Mosaic Law, of course, we see that there was intimate relationship with, with God from the very beginning of time. For it says, even in Genesis, that in those days did men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And it talks about Enoch who walked with God and entered into a relationship of such intimacy with God after 300 some odd years that he was translated into the very presence of God without seeing physical death. So it is very evident that intimate relationship with God was found not only in the time after Christ, but the time before Christ. But we need to understand what it means when it says being under the law. And there's two senses in which people could be called under the law. The first sense is in the sense that they have come to a place where they have been deceived even when the law was given before Christ into having their focus on the law and doing the law out of mere outward performance in the deceptive persuasion that somehow that would give them acceptance before God. But God often emphasized in those times before he came and in the time under the law with Moses that the issue with him was that the heart was circumcised. It wasn't the outward performance of circumcision that God was seeking, even in the giving of the law. It was the circumcision of the heart. Now, circumcision is a symbol. It is a symbol of a heart relationship with God and of the secret of what brings one in to a heart relationship of fellowship with God. And when God gave the law, his intention was not that they would get their eyes on the law. He often emphasized in the context of giving the law two things, to fear God and to love God with all your heart and mind and being and strength. So why was the law given? Well, it's clear in the scripture that one of the reasons the law was given was to boundary in the tendency in human beings as a nation to have those people that were wicked people dealt with so that their leavening influence or their corrupting influence would not spread to others and corrupt the whole nation because God wanted a holy seed and a pure seed. Also, the reason he wanted the pure seed was not only that they would be a kingdom of priests that would draw many unto God, a kingdom he, he called Israel and made it clear that the intent of the nation of Israel is that they would be 
kings and priests before God to bring all the nations into relationship with God. But it was also to preserve a pure seed to bring the Messiah into the world. And so that purity came through Mary and Joseph. And their lineage goes back, as we know, to King David. And before King David, a few more generations down, you see the book of Ruth, which was a Moabitess of all things. Now, that's another topic. Moabitess weren't allowed into the temple of the Lord for 10 generations because of the curse that God put upon them because of their iniquity against God. And they were not to be wished any or sought to seek their prosperity. And yet here you have Boaz who sought the prosperity of Ruth and through Ruth came the Messiah. And it was because Ruth entered into a deep heart relationship of commitment and love to God that annulled the ground of the curse. And so it didn't apply to her, though generally speaking, it did apply. For she was allowed and did was blessed of God, even in Boaz seeking her prosperity, which was contrary to what the word of God said to do. And so we see examples way back in the Old Testament that make it clear that the issue is relationship with God over mere performance and legalism. And when God gave the law, yes, there was in that sense they were under the law, but his intent was not that they would be under the law, but that all the more they would be aware of their need of relationship with God by the law and its consequences and warnings cornering them to the realization of the holiness of God. so that they would turn to a place of seeking God and having a love relationship with God where they would so love him with all their heart that it wouldn't be mere performance. When one gets their focus on mere performance in order to be accepted by God, they are getting their focus on themselves because self is the origination of performance because that's where the trust is. Whatever is trusted is where glory and worth and worship is going. And if you ultimately trust in yourself, that is where your worth and your glory is. It is a state, a deceptive state of pride. And this is the case with with what happened to many and the children of Israel. They fell out of relationship with God where it became a mere focus on performance before God by focusing on keeping the law. So that the law became an idol for it became their focus rather than their relationship with God. Rather, it should have been that they had such a relationship with God that there was the delight out of that relationship with God to fulfill far more than the law. 
So in the first sense, being under the law was coming under a bondage of self-performance, which was really a deceptive state of self-worship via focusing on the law out of self-sufficiency instead of on God, the source for relationship and love towards God. The other sense that people would be termed as being under the law in the writings of the Apostle Paul is in the sense that they were living in that time period where they were as a nation prescribed to keep the various laws and ordinances. But many of them knew an intimate relationship with God in the keeping of all of those things, such as Moses, Joshua, who prayed day and night in the temple of God. He had such a relationship with God. So they performed the outward keeping of circumcision, but out of a genuine circumcision in the heart. And so we need to understand the secret of this circumcision of the heart. There's a scripture that says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even exposing the very inner motives, even to the very marrow of the bone, going deep within soul and body. So what is this two-edged sword that brings this relationship of faith which works by love? I often teach about it in my teachings. It is the very being of who God is. God is love. And there's two aspects to the love of God that are well illustrated by describing the first aspect as the ultimate negative, which is really a great positive, and the ultimate positive of the universe. This I am talking about is the great I am that I am, the very source of reality. In Hebrew, you would pr pronounce it like this, ahiya, asher, ahiya, meaning, meaning I am that I am. Ahiya meaning I am, and asher meaning which, and ahiya meaning I am. Ahiya, asher, ahiya. I am that I am. This speaks of ultimate reality. And I share this, and there are things old and new that I bring out in my messages. But I think this is an important thing for those that are new to understand that may have never heard any of my messages. The first is that God's love must have complete integrity. It must be completely pure with no corruption in it. Love is a quality that is totally self-originating and free in choice. But it is also a quality in God that is always choosing the highest lasting good to the denial of any more immediate choice of fulfillment that would be less than the ultimate choice of good. And those choices are always being made onto the ultimate God, good who is God. And this love is very creative. And as such, is very intelligent to always be choosing the highest lasting good. 
And so because it has this quality, and the reason it has this quality is because of its integrity, that as such is as a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to choosing the ultimate lasting good in every choice, an expression of creativity. And as such, it is a devouring flame of judgment against every thought and word and deed and anything else that would be contrary to the being of God's love. This is the integrity of God's love that is also described as the holiness of God. It is the defensive aspect of the love of God. And it is this ultimate negative which is symbolized in the negative symbol and electricity which represents a foundation that is the foundation of ultimate reality, of the very life source of the universe, for only such a quality can contain unlimited life and unlimited power without being corrupted by it. And only such a quality as such would be indicative of being the very source of unending power and unlimited power and life that is on to ultimate good, and as the, such is the very source of goodness. And so the foundation of God's love is first in the holiness of God. This foundation is the foundation that allows God in his love, which is totally creative because it is totally self-originating and free. And in that, freedom always chooses the highest lasting good and therein is also totally complete and fulfilling in all that it does. It is the foundation for God to create a creation that he can provide destiny for, to even be able to create what can go on and be ever enlarging in greater and greater creations and creativities of greater and greater fulfillments and expansion and enlargement of his love. It is out of the foundation of the holiness of God, of this integrity of his love that springs forth creativity, which is ultimately expressed in the fact that God could have such great love, such pure love, that he could be transcendent to provide for free will beings which he has created mercy. If he didn't create free will beings and merely robots, it would be contrary to his being of love and would be pretty boring to have a universe of machines that have no ability to love. God, by his nature, creates beings with free choice, which obviously is indicative of the fact that there is then the potential to make choices that are contrary to the love of God that are destructive. But his ultimate purpose is to bring all things that can be reconciled to God into harmony with God if they will but repent and acknowledge that God's love is so great that he alone has the moral capacity to be a perfect atoning sacrifice to absorb all the destructive choices of his creation upon himself in judgment and yet in absorbing it still be God and conquer it. And of course this happened when Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ is the full expression of God the Father into the time and space realm. God judges as a person 
known as the Father beyond the time and space realm, seeing the end from the beginning and being the originator. That is the understanding of God and government as the Father, the originator that sees the end from the beginning. And the understanding of God in the time and space realm is the full expression of himself into this realm as personage in order to govern in the time and space realm. And God, by his Holy Spirit, in the Father and in the Son, fills all existence with his presence and is attached to every particle of existence and can become personage at all places at the same time to do whatever he so chooses, to reverse things and cause the resurrection of the dead, for he is attached to every particle of existence, which is now clearly confirmed by the discovery of the God particle in July of 2012 by the Higgs boson, or I should say the um, Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland. And the mathematical analysis of that is significant. There is a million explosion, uh, pardon me, a billions of explosions every second. They analyze about a million every second through computers around the world, and the heat of those explosions in those chambers is around 100,000 times greater than this, the heat in the center of the sun. If you don't believe me, check it out for yourself. It is the fact. And they finally found what they were looking for. They weren't sure they would find it, but they found the God particle that gave them the answer to why everything has mass and so on and why particles are all held together. They're held together by this unknown force that they still refuse to acknowledge, which is God himself that is holding all things together by his spirit. What we have in this passage here and what I am describing to you is the very essence of the being of God who is ultimate perfect love. And it is transcendent out of the foundation of his holiness in the power to provide mercy because God himself humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God. And it says in this verse here, verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Of course, when there's circumcision, what this is a symbol of is the nature of God, which is like this two-edged sword I described in Hebrews 12, that is cutting the enclosement of self-worship away, so that one spirit is delivered from the deception of self-worship, which is the worship of their spirit, worshiping their soul through various means. For example, through falling into the trap of making the law their focus rather than a relationship with God first out of which they fulfill the law. Or, for example, in another religion, they might believe that if they meditate and they focus on certain things, they can get rid of ego, they can get rid of self. The problem is, if you try to crucify yourself, you're always going to have one hand free. If you try to get with, rid of ego by trusting in yourself, you fall into the deception of refining ego beyond the comprehension of your soul mind and your physical mind. And you depersonalize yourself and lose personality. And you begin to want a philosophical belief that is a vagueness without any meaning or real hope or purpose or fulfillment or that's unreal. Let us be those 
that recognize this principle that whatever we trust in becomes the source of focus and the source of worth and of worship. Let us not fall into the deception of self-worship by philosophies that would make you believe that you are getting rid of self by some meditation or some other form of performance. It doesn't work. It leaves you with a void and an emptiness. And it's just another persuasion that does not come from God, as it says here. And this persuasion can even happen after one has entered into a genuine relationship where they've been brought forth anew by the Spirit of God. And the way this happens initially is by making the choice to perceive the truth and not to ignore it. To perceive God for who he truly is, first in the integrity of his law. To recognize that he requires judgment instead of becoming bitter at all the consequences of suffering and everything in this world because of beings with free will making choices contrary to the holiness of God. God is allowing that process to work out, to corner people to the realization of the emptiness of their lives and independence of God, to corner them to the point where they cry out for the truth and find the truth like the prodigal son. And it is then when they have tried all these things, trying to fill the vacuum of their soul that was only made to be filled with God. It is then, when they've tried all these things and been left still empty and still see all the mistrust, they are wanting nothing less than what is ultimately real, what is ultimately trustworthy. And then they recognize it can only be in this quality of reality that requires judgment, that is an integrity of love, but that is transcendent with the power to provide mercy and destiny to creation. Any monotheistic God that is demanding performance and cannot assure forgiveness and mercy is a counterfeit monotheistic God that in fact is the devil and an idol that people are worshiping out of the deception of their own heart. That's what happened to Cain. He became bitter at the consequences of the curse and all the hard work he had to do and who knows whatever else. So he became alienated in his mind and began to look at God as an enigma and a mystery that he couldn't fully understand. He lost sight of the holiness of God that behind that holiness is what is ultimately real, ultimately trustworthy, ultimately good. And he began to form his own image of God, a God that was holy and demanding, without goodness. And so he fell into the deception of mere performance. And so it is that when we are brought to face the reality of this two-edged sword and cry out like the prodigal son and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, it is at that point that our heart is circumcised from the deception of self-worship and the enclosement of the flesh falls off. Where our spirit is worshiping our soul via the deception of our own heart through some idol, 
through a philosophy that is idolatrous or a monotheistic religion that is idolatrous or a mere Christianity that is filled with mere performance and no relationship where people learn to humble themselves and cry out to God. Now, when one recognizes this ultimate negative, which is the greatest positive possible, for it is the foundation of reality and of creativity, and they see that they can receive mercy and forgiveness because God assures that if they repent, they can be forgiven. And that was from the very beginning of Adam and Eve till now. They begin out of perceiving that mercy of God to see the greatness of his love. And it is when they see the greatness of this love that has such integrity and yet such love to forgive that their spirit opens up from a clenched fist of rebellion and bitterness like the prodigal son. They open up and the hand is representative of that, the open hand. And they raise their hands and surrender to God. And the spirit of God comes into that selfless state that their spirit is in because now they are trusting what is ultimately trustworthy because they've chosen to perceive what is ultimately trustworthy. And that choice is the fear of God. The choice to recognize God for who, to who he truly is in these two aspects of his being of love is, a, is the fear of God. God commands us to fear him. And when we fear him, we humble ourselves and we cry out and there's a deep turning from the heart and this circumcision happens. And so what happens is we first perceive the love of God and then we respond by faith to that love that we reach out to receive in the atoning sacrifice of God himself for us that we could be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. It is then that we see the reality of this verse in verse 6 that says faith works by love. But this is an ongoing process. Once it started, we've been brought forth anew the spirit for now that our spirit is in that state of selflessness because it is not trusting in self, but is focused on the source of ultimate, perfect, selfless love. Then the spirit of God comes into our spirit represented in that open hand as another open hand that rests against that other open hand and forms the symbol of two hands together in prayer or of a seed, which is the divine new nature, which is described in 1 John when it says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is speaking of the new nature of faith, that is by the indwelling of the Spirit of God with our spirit in a state of selfless trust. For boasting is excluded by the law of faith, it says in Romans chapter 4. The secret is to continue in what has begun. It says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. That is how we conquer the persuasion of deception to put, to have false motives of self-glory through performance. I cannot continue to preach for a long time on this passage, but as I continue with this passage, 
I've discussed that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so even if there's a little suggestion within a lot of body of truth that is indicative that somehow our relationship with God is dependent upon our performance before God, devoid or neglecting the circumcision of the heart, then we are falling into a trap. And it is troubling to those that have entered into a relationship with God to think that now they're being told, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that, or God will not accept you. The issue is first relationship with God, out of which then whatever God commands you to do, you do. In the time of the nation of Israel, it was not wrong for them to keep circumcision. But God's issue was always that they would love him with all their heart, that it would be done out of a relationship that comes out of the fear of God, that brings people to the place of humility, where they lay down their own self-initiations of presumption before God in awe of who he is by focusing on the awesomeness of his holiness. Oh, yes. It says to give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness, to delight in his holiness. And indeed, it is out of the holiness of God that we find true fulfillment in our being. For the holiness of God is the foundation for wholeness, and the foundation for wholeness is the foundation for beauty and for the expression of beauty in creativity in God himself and in those that so receive Christ. God revealed to his creation, which is only through Jesus Christ, for he only conquered death in the flesh and lived a perfect life. Now, we go on here in this passage, and we see this persuasion I've been talking about a mere performance, that it troubles them it's against the peace of God being allowed to rule in their hearts. The word of God commands us to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. When you get your focus on something that you have to do, instead of on who God is, It is troubling. Don't allow your spirit to be troubled, but delight in the Lord. The secret is to live in the spirit and to walk in the spirit. In this passage of scripture, we'll begin with uh, continuing with verse 13 here. It says in verses 12 to 21, basically here's some of the things. It says to be led of the Spirit is to be led against self-seeking motives and desires that are temporal in the natural realm, such as self-glory, sexual lust, etc., etc. Now, Paul, after emphasizing the danger of falling into mere religious ritualism and performance, recognizes that those that do not want to fall into this danger can fall into another trap. And so he emphasizes in verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love 
serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Of course, he mentions here that if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. Division and destructive talk and deeds against one another will cause destruction of one another and shows the source as against God. Because God is the one that contains no destructibility in his being. Therefore, it is anti-God. If we have motives that are impure, of self-glory, or of seeking advantage from some situation, or fulfilling of sexual fulfillment. And so the other deception that people fall into is they say, well, we don't want to be those that are in the yoke of bondage. We want to be free, but they are seeking a freedom that has wrong motives, that has motives to fulfill self in the natural realm of things that are temporarily fulfilling. And so they begin to form an image of God that is a God of grace, of love, but the love has no integrity. The love condones sin. It says in the word of God, that, and I've heard many pastors say to people, just come to the altar as you are and God will receive you. It is true he will if you're coming with repentance. But let it be qualified that he's not going to receive you if you just come in your sin and you do not have a desire to change and to repent. No, you don't just come as you are in the sense of that you can continue in a lifestyle of sin. You come with true contrition and repentance in your heart, and without that, you would not be really coming to God. So when it says in the word of God, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, there is the understanding that you're coming to him because you want him to be your all in all, and you are choosing to repent and trust him to give you the strength to overcome those deceptions that are self-grasping and destructive, like a black hole in outer space that pulls everything around into it in a destructive way. Paul emphasizes in verse 12 to 21, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Under the law in the sense that as a Gentile, you don't need to be keeping all of these things. And also under the law in the sense that you are not deceived into a yoke of mere performance where the law becomes a focus that is idolatrous. Now, we know the evidence that one does not have a leading by the Spirit of God and is not abiding in the Spirit of God is by the desires. When Christ talks about abiding in him, it means that to really abide in Christ is to abide in the desires that are not our desires, but are the desires of God himself. 
The way we grow into an abiding relationship in the vine is by having no confidence in the flesh, as the word of God says. We have no confidence in the flesh, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and in truth. If we come to God with our weaknesses and tendencies to grasp after temporal fulfillments, God, if we do not shrink back and we really believe he can give us the strength, will give us the strength as we cry out to him. We need to be earnest enough. If we are in bondage to addictions, to desires that are, whether they're drug addictions or whatever, we have to come to the place of saying, God, I know this desire is not of you. To want fulfillment in whatever it is, if it's sex or whatever, it's not of you. Would you please take away this deception? And it is a deception. As it says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. It is a lying vanity to think that you can find fulfillment in some temporal choice over choosing what is to your highest lasting good, which is choosing to have God's desires replace yours. And you can come before the throne of grace and you will feel so weak, you'll think it's impossible for God to change you. But the word of God encourages us to come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need or in the time when we feel weak. And the context of that verse is talking about God being secured with our weaknesses, identifying with our weaknesses. He will identify with you and he will give you the strength. And as you continue to pray and repent, he will take those desires out of you as you ask him to take them from you. And you will begin to abide in his desires so that his desires become your desires. And it is then that when you pray, you will not pray things that are self-seeking motives for your own purposes or your own idealisms. But you will pray truly what is revealed to be the will of God so that he can answer your prayers. The reason many of us do not see the answer to physical healing in our lives is because we're not really gathered together in his name. For to be gathered together and to ask anything in his name is to be not asking in our own ulterior motives or with some grudge against a brother in our heart or whatever it is. Whenever that's the case, when people are gathered together, they're not gathered together in his name. And they're not asking in his name, though outwardly they may. And it will not result in answered prayer. It is when the body of Christ comes into unity through abiding in who God really is in the name of who God is or the expression of who God is. In this love that is totally forgiving, that is totally pure without self-seeking motives of lust or self-glory, that God will answer prayer. And to have anything less is to lack discernment. The reason there was many believers that were weak and sickly among the Corinthians is because as it mentions in the book of Corinthians, they did not discern the body of Christ. They did not discern Christ in one another. They were filled with self-seeking motives and insensitivities. They did not discern. That's because they did not discern who Christ was or they wouldn't have been so light and trivial in having the communion. They would have been aware of the awesomeness of partaking of the body and of the blood of Christ which commands 
that we search our hearts if there be any leaven in our midst. The evidence of leaven in the midst of the church is in division, is in loves of the world that cause a hardness in the heart. And often in our societies, it is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was idleness, abundance of bread and pride. Instead of seeking God, we're caught up in the busyness of fulfilling our own destinies that we can justify even as being good because we want to do all this to go to a Bible school and become somebody or whatever it is. May our motives be pure. So we get carried away in busyness and lose out in a life of prayer. Or we're carried away with the gods of amusement and pleasure and spend all our time watching sports instead of entering into a relationship with God. God is commanding his people to come into a relationship with him. Where there is no hardness in our heart, which is a, an, an adultery with the world that births adultery in marriages, there are many that need to repent that they left their partners out of a spirit of adultery and hardness of heart. Instead of having the love and the grace of God to overcome the hardness in their partner. I will never forget the story that a sister came up and told me of how she was fed up with her husband and was getting making plans to divorce him. And the Spirit of God would speak to her, go to your husband and wash his feet. And she resisted and resisted, but finally she decided to do it. And she went and washed his feet with a towel. And he says, don't do that, don't do that. And as she washed his feet with a towel, her tears began to flow down her face and tears began to flow down her husband's face. And God broke the hardness because she humbled him herself before God and before him and won the hardness of his heart and melted it with that mercy that Christ showed towards her in forgiving her much. And so their marriage has been good for 25 years ever since that happened. Let us be those that are not allowing the persuasion of mere performance or the persuasion of temporal fulfillments that violate the integrity of God's love and form doctrines that are contrary to the holiness of God to come and deceive us. It says in the last days, there will be many that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And the power they're denying is the power to live a holy life. And they say, oh, God will accept you just as you are. He's a God of grace. You can live any way you want. That is a false teaching. It says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And it emphasizes the importance that we hold our confidence steadfast unto the end. And it warns us not to allow our hearts to be hardened like the children of Israel so that we fail to enter the promised land and our ultimate destiny, which is with God in heaven. So let us be those that are not led with self-seeking motives, but delight to know that our fulfillment is in relationship with God so that we worship him out of perceiving his holiness and this transcendence and mercy and creativity so that we can say with King David, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple all the days of my life. May we be those 
that are such. That enter in to a place where in our churches, we repent of being denominational and exclusive of other Christians. Where we repent of control from the leadership that limits the body of Christ from moving in the spirit, from humbling themselves. Where we repent of not praying and seeking God and having just a few come to the prayer meetings. Rather, we make the service itself a prayer meeting and humble and the leadership humbles themselves and everyone comes before God and cries out to spare them and to spare the land from the judgment that is to come because the church is not shining forth as a bright light but is allowed hardness and deception of leaven to creep in and make them controlling and denominational and adulterous. May the world again see the glory of holy people that loves God that only seeks one thing, and that's the glory of God, and is motivated out of love to reach the lost. I could go on preaching and preaching. It says here in this last verse, let us not be desirous of vain glory. May we be those rather that live in the Spirit, not merely living in the Spirit, knowing the presence of God in our lives at times, but walking in the Spirit in everything that we do, having motives that are pure, that are done as an act of worship unto God, denying our self-initiations and things that we want to do through learning to trust God to provide our needs and deny the busyness that seeks to fulfill our needs of what we want in the material realm. May we be those that are not merely filled with activity and busyness in the church, but do not know what it is to worship God out of true humility and reverence and the fear of God, and to have our hearts continually circumcised before God. That is what God is calling his people to do in these last days. May you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through this message to your church that you will take your community for Christ by establishing a beachhead of prayer, a beachhead that will bring down the presence and the glory of God to conquer your community, to conquer your city through the anointing and power of the Spirit of God that causes the body of Christ to become living stones which God can inhabit with his presence to break the darkness and cause you to move in the spirit of prophecy as two-edged swords come out of your mouth and conquer the powers of darkness in your community and city. It is time to take our nations before it is too dark and no man can work, for the hour is urgent. May we hear the call of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message, and may God bless you all.